Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Good morning. Nice to see you all. We've been in a series talking about the different parties that Jesus attended, the ones he went to, and there are lots in the book of Luke. Jesus enjoyed going to a good party. Um, And we've been talking about, or we will talk about, 10 of these parties over the next um, couple of weeks and have talked about quite a few. Um, And it's interesting to think about Jesus attending all of these different parties, different kinds of parties. And he didn't just attend parties, but he also liked to talk about parties. And what we've said as we've attuned in the book of Luke to Jesus attending, participating, telling stories about parties, is that what we are listening for and paying attention to is how Jesus reveals who God is by attending these parties and talking about them. That we know that Jesus is revealing characteristics of God in his participation throughout the book of Luke. Jesus, we've seen, shows up at a tax collector's house, who's the host. Tax collectors were cultural outsiders. That tells us something about Jesus. Jesus shows up at Simon the Pharisees, kind of the religious elite, the somebody of that community, and that shows us, in terms of what happened in those social dynamics, something about who God is, and so on and so on. In the first century, and now to some extent, meals and parties made statements about relationships and identity, closeness and honors of, of those who were there. And I was thinking about this, like we can say that about the first century, but I think it's actually true now too. Think about Beyonce, like she throws a party. Not everyone's invited. And if you are invited, there's some hoops you have to jump through to even get in the door, right? Says something about relationship, identity, closeness, and honor of those who get into her party. Or the Met Gala. You know? There are statements that are being made. And these are parties that are writ large, but they do happen to some smaller degree in ones that we go to or invited to or happen here in the city. They speak to relationship, identity, closeness, and the honor of the guests who are there. And Jesus, as he goes to these parties, sometimes crashing them, consistently reveals that God's love is not positional. And his loving action challenges social norms that communicate anything to the contrary. So there's a kind of display that Jesus is making in these parties. 
We're going to look at another couple of parties today around these two particular characters, Mary and Martha. Abby read it. I'm going to read it again just so that we familiarize ourselves with the text. Jesus and his disciples went on their way. Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha lived. She welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was busy with all the things that had to be done. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Really, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The story of these two women, if you've grown up in the church or been around the church for any length of time, it is very likely that you have heard this story before. And it's often what I don't like about how sometimes this story is narrated or talked about is that service is pitted against attentiveness, right? And the unfortunate thing about that is that then one woman is pitted against another. There is some kind of spiritual application that comes out about the more righteous woman. And I don't think that's the point at all. Jesus enters Martha's home. And she is offering hospitality. Not just to one person, probably, but to all the people that Jesus, are with Jesus, because Jesus usually has a crew with him wherever he goes. And so, as a group of people that enter into this woman's home, she is socially obligated to take care of all of them. That is her obligation, especially in that culture. She is culturally tasked with providing for all these people that come into her home. And for those of you who host, that's a task, right? She's busy. And I think lest we reduce her to just only being a service-oriented woman, in John's gospel, she and Jesus are talking about death and resurrection, and then she makes a declaration almost the same as the disciples Peter. She says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. A theologian by Douglas Greuter says this about her statement. She thus gives one of the strongest statements of messianic faith in the Gospels and so becomes a model of theological veracity concerning Jesus. Martha is a woman who owns a house and has resources in the first century. She's impressive. She serves, yes, and she's busy, yes, and she is also theologically thoughtful. And in this moment, because of what's happening in her house, she wants help 100% valid. I probably would too. Mary, in this moment, isn't in the mood to help. Mary is in the mood for some robust conversation. Could have been theological, could have been cultural, 
Could have been about Judaism or politics. We don't know what Jesus is talking about. And she's likely joined the other disciples for the conversations of the day. She doesn't want to be preoccupied with domestic tasks. She wants to be in on the dialogue. She wants to learn like the other disciples are learning. And that's what it says. She sits at Jesus' feet, which is a cultural idiom for being taught by the teacher. In Acts chapter 2, or actually it's 22, the same phrase is used for when Paul talks about sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. So she wants to sit and learn. And she sees herself as worthy of learning. And so there are not, nothing bad about either of these things that are happening with these two women. In fact, both of them are culturally and socially kind of anomalies. The majority of women in the first century did not own a home. Some did. The majority did not. The majority of women in the first century were expected to prioritize domestic tasks. It's a time and a place where women learning was not encouraged at best. And so what we see is Jesus interacting with two rather wonderful women. One who has opened her home and the other who is willing to defy dominant social expectations. These are two wonderful women. And I don't think the main point here is their relationship to each other or their activities. I think the most astonishing thing about this moment in this intimate dinner party is what is happening between Jesus and these two women. Which is why it's worth paying attention to how Jesus relates to them, both at this dinner party and other ones that he has with them. Some of my best friends in my life have been men. When I was eight years old, developed a friendship, my friend Tim, he was my best friend. Until at 16, he went off to med school, and I was so sad. He went to Bristol University, which was far from me, so I didn't get to see him a lot. But from 8 until 16, Tim, BFF, did lots and lots of fun things together. And then when he left, I got really close to my other friend, Andy Fearon. Andy was a dude that could make me laugh my face off. Andy taught me the value of adventure. He was spontaneous, wanted to always go and do all the fun things, like excellent human, Andy Fearon. And then I moved away from the UK and I went to Portland. One of the major reasons I went to Portland is because of my cousin, Ben. Ben has always been one of my closest people. I was just talking about him this morning with um, someone about how I'm going to go and see him for Christmas. It's like, 
I, I texted him, I was like, I gotta fly a Christmas morning. <laughs> Hopefully that's not gonna disrupt your family plans. He's like, no problem, so stoked you're coming. And it's not even putting him out. He's actually delighted that I'm coming to crash Christmas. There's a lot of reason why I moved to Portland is because he was there. And then while I was there, I had a friend called Jake. And he became one of my closest friends for like 20 years. And the good thing about good friends is that there's a freedom to say what you need. To complain and to speak your truth without fear that you'll be perceived as high maintenance or disrespectful. And I know that because my friends, they could take a bit of the HT. And if anyone knows me, you know, can show up sometimes. Martha marches in like a friend. Lord, sir, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Jesus, tell her. She's sitting right there. Martha, you could ask her yourself. But instead, you are going to have him tell her. Don't you care? Ooh, what a thing to say about Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Compassionate, deeply caring heart went for the jugular. Don't you care? Really, Martha? I love her. She's a little bit feisty. Tell her. Right? When you use that voice with someone, it is someone that you are familiar with. How many people do you command to tell somebody to tell somebody else to do something? Not that many. This is someone she feels a great deal of freedom around. Tell her. And Jesus responds like a friend. I don't know what the intonation is when he does this, whether it's Martha, Martha, or if it's a little smirk on his face, Martha, Martha, or if it's just Martha, I feel you, Martha. We don't know. He just says her name twice. And then he says, Mary, she's choosing something that is good. The translation often uses better. She's choosing what is better, but the literal word there, the Greek word, is good. Mary, she's choosing something that is good, and because of that, I'm not going to take it away from her. In this moment, he does more than just tell Martha that he is not going to tell Mary to get busy with all the things. He endorses the goodness in Mary's right to be taught, which is primarily reserved for men. He is naming in this moment that the traditional office of a woman does not need to take priority over the goodness that she is finding in being taught and learning from him. 
He is being a good friend to Martha. He is being a good friend to Mary. And he is being a good friend to all those people who are kind of socially boxed in to particular kinds of spaces. And he says, yeah, I'm not taking that kind of goodness away from her. And it's not that weird that many of my best friends in my life have been men. But in this moment here, what is happening is pretty unconventional and lovely. It's lovely. It's the kind of dinner party where you have the freedom to choose what you're doing, the freedom to say what you're thinking, and there is familiarity and friendship and love. In John's Gospel, right before Jesus and Martha have that conversation about death and resurrection, and she reveals how epically, theologically astute she is, this is what it says about this little group of people's relationship. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. And the way that it's written leaves us without any question. Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Mary and Lazarus. And the word and acts as emphasis. Each one loved. In a world that tolerated women, Jesus loved them. And it played out in his actions towards these two sisters on multiple occasions. A week before his death, he goes back to these friends, John chapter 12, for another what? Dinner party. Six days before Passover, a dinner was given at Bethany to honor Jesus. Martha served the food. Lazarus was among the people at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. It was an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the sweet smell of the perfume. Again, Jesus is at a dinner party. There's a table full of people. Lazarus is among them, Martha is serving the food, and Mary decides to do something. Washing feet, as Johnny mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is a hospitable thing to do, often with water, sometimes with wine, sometimes with oil, depending on how you wanted to honor the guest. Mary pulls out in this moment expensive perfume, and she anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume, and she kind of dries it off with her hair. It's a close, intimate moment. And it's not his sister this time, it's not her sister this time that's throwing shade, but another one sitting at the table. Judas is like, why are you wasting that perfume like that, Mary? Girl can't get a break. Whatever she does is criticized. And this time she's being criticized as being wasteful, and Jesus again says, no. She, she knows what she's doing. And this is what is said of her. Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. Mary is often remembered for her devotion, and she should be. But I believe that she should be remembered because she actually got it. What she is doing is born out of awareness and understanding. 
And it's an awareness and understanding of Jesus' messianic vocation, which included death. And that is not something that the other disciples were getting a hold of. And this act is an act of seeing, of beholding, of solidarity, and of love. And she takes a humble position. Washing feet required humility because only certain types of people took on that role. And it was costly. It says it was expensive perfume. It was nard, which was an essential oil. And the, the, the amount that she used just like filled the whole space. Kind of musty, sweet smell. It's beautiful. A beautiful moment of attending, of seeing, of understanding, of solidarity and of love. But to be honest, when I was reading this, it was the other details that stood out to me. Lazarus is sitting at the table. Martha is serving the food. Mary is taking the role of washing feet. And if I'm honest, in this beautiful moment, I was annoyed by it this week as I was reading it. I was like, I feel so annoyed by this. Why are these the roles? Are you kidding me? So I took a walk. I was like, time to take a walk, HD. Take some breaths, have some prayers. I was like, what am I supposed to say about this? That it's beautiful? It is beautiful, but it's also annoying. It's my prayers. Just a little insight into my prayer situation this week. It's beautiful and annoying. And then I remembered something. On my walk, it caught my brain. I remembered that the last dinner party that Jesus attended. And it was less than a week after this moment. Less than a week. Jesus walks from his home of his friends, people he loved, people who loved him, and he went to another dinner party. Less than a week. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he loved them to the end. He didn't miss. And it was supper time. And he got up from the table. And he set aside his robe and he put on an apron. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he dried them with an apron. And after he had finished washing all of their feet, he went back to his place at the table. And then he said to his disciples, Do you understand what I have done to you? 
do you understand what I have done to you? And then he says, you refer to me as professor and sir, which was a title. And he said, it's right that you would refer to me that way. Because that's what I am. And then he says, if I, with this position, washed your feet, you'd be ready to do the same. And he says, I've laid down a pattern for you. And he says, what I've done, you do too. Jesus joins Mary. And he invites the rest of them into the same practices of attention, of understanding, of insight, and of love. Jesus joins Mary. Jan van der Watt says this, foot washing has a clear meaning as a key to a rejection of social hierarchy and a new form of social relationship based on Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at people positionally. Jesus doesn't treat people positionally. Jesus sees people through the lens of a level playing field. And his party crashing consistently reveals that God's love is not positional. And his loving action challenges social norms that communicate anything to the contrary. What he does at these parties is both invitational and illustrative of something about God. It's what all these parties have done. And what an epic way to do it, right? I think they expected there to be war, for there to be demands and coercion. And Jesus goes to dinner parties. I'm going to say it again. Jesus' party crashing consistently reveals that God's love is not positional. And his loving actions challenges social norms that communicate anything to the contrary. And after all of this, all of these different parties, the question he asks is, do you understand? Monsieur, do we understand? Do we understand? Jesus ends by saying, if you get this, you'll live it. And if you live it, you'll be blessed by it. Last Sunday, we had our team gathering here at Missio, like out in the foyer. We had some good chicken and potatoes and coleslaw. We missed you if you weren't there. And Jordan, who's sitting in the back at the slides, I told him I was going to quote him today, and he's going to press the slide, and there he is. (laughs) He was talking to us about how we live um, our Christian life in our everyday, in our workplaces and our neighbors, 
with our neighbors, with our workmates, in our neighborhoods. And this is what he said. The end goal is love. I don't think I heard that from the pulpit growing up. Who we are becoming is a people of love. So how do we practice that in our everyday lives? It's that we learn to love people well. We learn to listen, to hear stories. We learn to hear wounds. Once again, do what Jesus did. And when you do these things, it actually transforms you as well. Jordan Moss. So I have a question for you. Having heard these passages and having heard from Jordan, who can you listen to this week? Who can listen to you? Whose story can you hear? What story do you need to tell? When we learn to love, we learn to follow one of the most explicit commandments Jesus ever gave. And I want us to read it together out loud because at the end of the meal, he said it to those who are sitting with him at the meal. So let's all say it out loud so we capture it in our mouths, we get it in our ears. This is what he said. Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for one another. And an action of love is not a fixed thing. It's particular. It's particular to situations, to contexts, to persons, to groups of people, which is why listening and telling and hearing is so important. Because sometimes staying is the loving action and sometimes leaving is the loving action. Sometimes speaking is a loving action and sometimes holding the tongue is the most loving. Sometimes saying no is loving and sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes love means holding a boundary and sometimes it means giving up a boundary. Sometimes it means upholding standards and laws and agreements, and sometimes it means challenging them or even breaking them. Sometimes love means acknowledging harm and wounds that we've experienced. And sometimes it means taking responsibility for harming or wounding. Sometimes giving money is loving action, and sometimes not giving money is loving action. And there is room for all of it. Which is why listening and being listened to is a good basis for knowing how to love. So I'll ask you again. Who can you listen to this week? Who can listen to you? Whose story can you hear? 
What story do you need to tell? I believe that as we learn to love each other, we actually reveal who God is to each other. The way that Jesus did. And the way that he invited us to carry on doing. Jesus joined Mary at a party and doing a particular practice. And he invites the rest of us into the same kind of practices of attention, of understanding, of insight, and so love. Let's pray. Jesus, you don't look at things positionally, and we often do. We often see people through lenses of money, lenses of social status, job, job performance, the kind of houses we own, the types of shoes we wear, the jackets we have on, the types of bodies that house us, the places and countries we're from, the color of our skin, the way we form words and the accents that we use, the letters before our names, whether we've spent time in prison, whether we are unsheltered, whether we are part of large religions or corporations. And then we make declarations about one another based on the positions that we occupy. And we confess that we do that. I confess that I do that. And we confess that it means that we are not understanding. And so I pray today, Jesus, that by your Spirit you would allow what needs in us to be understood to be understood. And that we, in understanding that your love is not positional, that we would receive it for ourselves in all of our places of shame and anxiety and fear. And that we would be those who give it. That Missio Day would be marked by love. And because we are marked by love, we would be then known as yours. And so I pray today for all the different ways that this community has opportunity to be loved and loved this week. May there be stories shared and told and may there be a movement in the direction that is you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.